Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm the one we've come to worship and adore this morning. What a privilege to see everyone here this morning. It was uh, very pleasing to get your council responses back on your council cards to see that you have peace with God and peace with your fellow Christians. That's important, and I'm glad to see that you could say yes, affirmative to those questions, and so you're prepared for communion. That's important, and that's a real blessing. <clears throat> Appreciated that. Well, you know, in our society today, there's very little shame. You can have purple, red, and green hair. There's no embarrassment. It seems like you can have tattoos all over the place, and there's no embarrassment. You know, uh, the way you live and the way you talk makes no difference. But I'll tell you, it was different years ago. I'd like to look, start out by looking at Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. The title of the message is, The Price of My Sin. <clears throat> now, you know, many times uh, we look at the price of things nowadays. <clears throat> and if we're trying to be a good steward, the price does make a difference to us. And so we look for good bargains, we'd say. You know, good quality at cheap price, you know, that's... The, uh, uh, that's the Anabaptist way. And, uh, but I'm seeing Jesus looked at this, God looked at this a little different. I don't think heaven was willing to go for the cheap price. In fact, if I see it, if we see it correctly, I think we paid the highest price. You know, we like things on sale. There was nothing on sale here. Giving it all. You know, and what a person gives tells you how much they value it. How much they're willing to give is how much you value it. And I think that says how much Jesus values our redemption, how much he was willing to give. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be worried and faint in your minds. Now, it's, it's nice, to, it's good to think of that great cloud of witnesses. And of course, it's said right after Hebrews 11, of those that were faithful to God and had, had faith in Jesus and were willing to, to stick to their faith and their belief in Jesus come thick or thin, they was willing to do it. And there's been a lot of saints since then. And I'm glad we can think of those two. That's part of that great cloud of witnesses. And he said, when you see, when you consider what they have went through in their lifetime, what they was willing to give up to follow Jesus faithfully, you know, it makes us want to lay aside the sin that snares us. And I don't know why it seems like the devil knows uh, our weak points, and he tries to uh, get us. Because there's uh, besetting sins, people call them. I, they're just sins that are easy to do. And he said, because you know what? The test of your faith is how you stay faithful to the end. Steadfast to the end. You might be in the thick of it today. But I believe every good Christian that makes it to heaven 
has plenty of real tests on the way. Not a, no Christian in general that lived long after they accepted Jesus wasn't tested in a real way. And it's good. It purges us. It tells us where our affections are. And he said, by the way, if you think you have a rough time, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. <clears throat> now, that's an interesting thought. Looking to Jesus, the author, the one that began, the one that established our faith, and he's able to carry you all the way through. He'll never let you down. We let him down, but he never lets us down. He's always there to help us. He's always there. And, uh, and he endured the cross. He despised the shame. <clears throat> It'd be nice if America would know what shame is. Sin is shame. Evil is shame. Not following God, Jesus, is a shame. It's a shame. But uh, Jesus went through a process that was very shameful. Even in Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23, says, If a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put, uh, put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree. Thou shalt in, thou shalt in any Wise, bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. It says very plainly in the Old Testament, it was a shame to be crucified. It was accursed. Galatians 3, 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You know, Jesus knew this very well. And it's something for us to ponder. You know, he was willing to be to go the most shameful death for your and my sins, the cost of my sin. And uh, I'm just so glad he was willing to do that. It says there in 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live into righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. I don't know if you really think of the crucifixion as on a tree, but that's what the scripture calls it because it was made of wood. And he was willing to bear our own sins in his own body. You know, most times it's hard for us to be responsible for our actions. You know, many a time I'm tempted, and I've seen many other people do it myself, but I don't have to always look at others to see this. When you do something wrong and there needs to be discipline, well, I didn't deserve that. Well, how would Jesus feel? He, he bare our sins in his body for you and me and did no wrong. Now that's real humility. That's real humility. How do you like, how do you like taking discipline for somebody else? Hmm. I'll tell you, generally mankind don't even like being disciplined for their own wrongdoing. You know how mankind are? Jesus, no wonder says, looking unto Jesus. We can look to Jesus and we can see a perfect example 
of how we should relate in this world, how we should own up to our own problem, our sin problem. And so then in verse 3 it says, consider him. Consider him. Such a fundamental truth. Consider him who was willing to endure contradiction of sinners against himself. So if you think you're in the thick of it, and I hope you're on the mountaintop, because most of the thick of it, it seems like mankind likes to feel like they've had a tough life, but not tough compared to Jesus. Because you don't need to be worried and faint in your mind. You don't need to be worried and faint. Jesus endured everything for your victory, for your redemption, for your salvation, so that you could consider him and say, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, he went through a lot more for me than I'm going through for him. Isn't that the truth? He endured a lot more for me than I've ever endured for him. What a tremendous blessing we can, as we think about this. <clears throat> Verse 4, for ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. He said, you know what? I hope you're fighting the good warfare. I hope you're in the battle. And he said, you know what? I hope you know you're resisting the devil. And I hope... The Lord is guiding you and helping you aid you be victory. But you know what? We didn't go to the same level Jesus did. That's very true. So how much did it cost? John 19, verses 1 to 11. John 19. Now, I like the passage, actually, that Elam read this morning in Matthew 27. That's more extensive, and I like that reference. But I'm just going to take John 19 because it's a little bit more abbreviated here this morning, and look at a number of verses in there where it talks about the cost of my sin. <clears throat> John 19, I'll read in the New King James. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Then Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing, you out, bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have it all. And according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this saying, he was the more afraid. And went out into the planetarium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, are you not answer, speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you, the power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, Jesus was at his last trial at this stage. He went through a numerous uh, trials and uh, troubling situations. And uh, I'm sure you've heard plenty about the scourging. But I still think it's good to realize 
I would call this a whipping like you and I never got, okay? Maybe we deserved one like this, but I don't think we ever got one like this. Because I tell you, if I understand the way it is, it's just beyond description. I firmly believe that that was why, one of the reasons why he couldn't carry his cross. Because of this, because uh, I've had a lot of pain in whippings, but I've never been paddled to the degree that I that it affected my physical ability dramatically. But Jesus, uh, it, it seemed as pierced that he was, and it it was a it was a high price for my sin. I don't question there was a good bit of blood involved. He was shedding his blood. It started already. And um, then he put a crown of thorns on his head. <clears throat> I can't really fathom that. Because uh, I've had some disgraceful things done to me. But can you imagine being the king of kings and lord of lords? Can you imagine be, being the god of the universe? Being sovereign. Everything was under his control. And standing there and taking such ridiculous treatment. I think it's, it just it, it defies human rationale. It just defies it that he was willing to do that. Because, you know, we know they put the crown on the thorns and then they struck him. And I'm sure the only question there was more blood there. It does appear that Pilate was trying to pacify the Jews. And I guess that was a good thing because uh, Pilate had already been told. By his wife, you be careful. You be very careful. This is, yeah, I've had a dream, and this man is innocent. You know, and so Pilate is between a rock and a hard spot, to say it mildly, because he said, I find no fault in him. He had already said that a few verses earlier in verse uh, 38 of chapter 18. He said, I find no fault in him. And I think Pilate would have been glad to find fault with him, and yet, you know, there was no fault in him. There was nothing to find with a realistic I find no fault in him. And uh, that's very interesting to hear him say that because it's very true. Mm -mm. Then he says, verse 6. End of verse 5, excuse me, is behold the man. I think it's very interesting phraseology. Because, you know, uh, us as mankind, when we view Jesus as God, as divine, and yet we know Jesus was totally man, uh, it is easy to get a somewhat warped perception of what he went through because he was in control. But he was 100% man. Always remember that. He was 100% man. So when he was slapped when he was spit on, when he was scourged, when he was mocked, put, you know, put mocked like, oh, you're a wonderful king. And then they, and then they put a robe, robe on him, crown with or blood going down his back, blood going down his face. He was 100% man. I remind you, he felt that just as much as you would feel that. 100% man, the cost of my sin. He was willing to shed his lifeblood for me and you. He, behold the man. They didn't say, Paul didn't say, behold the miraculous, powerful God. No, and he would have been right if he said that too, by the way. 
But he said, you know what? He was implying Jesus is going through all this just as painful as it would feel to you. That touches me. That touches me. Yes. They wanted to accuse him. They couldn't find no fault with him. Now, let's go down a few more verses to verse 16 to 20, where it says, And when he, when he had delivered him to, cruci- uh, to be crucified, then he delivered to them to be crucified. He, let me say this correct. Then he, Pilate, delivered him, Jesus, to them to be crucified, so that they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of the skull, that is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it is written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. <clears throat> it's a, lo- a lot of things here to be, re- uh, to be understood. <clears throat> we know that from the other passage, Jesus was too weak to carry his cross. That was in Matthew 27, 33, and I think it's in Luke 2, that the Simon of Cyrene carried his cross. And uh, when Jesus said... <clears throat> You know, why don't you crucify him? Uh, it was interesting to note. I uh, come up upon an interesting thought that I hadn't read of before. That was in Jesus. Uh, that was actually in verse six. You take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. That even though in the Old Testament law it said it, it was a it was a curse to be crucified, that Jews did not crucify people. They don't, I, don't, I don't think they have one account of that because it was such a cursed death. When, when, when that Pilate said that, they assumed that really he could not have been serious about saying that. The Jews did not crucify people. And they understood that Romans, Romans and the Jews understood it was a horrible punishment that was usually inflicted only on slaves for the worst of crimes. They understood this. This whole crowd understood this. That this was, was the worst of punishment. The most horrible punishment. Only inflicted on slaves with the worst crimes. Now you're starting to understand the shame. You're starting to understand the shame. You know, none of us like public shame. But this was to the height. Of embarrassment. Here he was, blameless and perfect, the Lamb of God. And yet he was willing to take on the lowest of death for your sins and mine. That's incredible. That's just hard to fathom. And then it said they crucified him. Oh, there's no description. And it's just a few words. 
But I had to think. So here's Jesus. And he said, I give my life freely. That was a big sacrifice just to get to that point of willing to give his life freely. Because when you, when we as mankind get embarrassed, do we give up our character freely? Do we give, are we sacrificed uh, freely? Generally, we put up a fight. He gave his life freely and they crucified him. So there it is, wood on the ground. I'm just going to match, I don't know, I assume. And there's, they said, you know, you're going to have to be crucified. He lays down on the cross. He lays down the cross. They nail his feet to the cross. They nail his hands to the cross. Willingly laying there. That's your Savior. Blameless. Not deserving anything. But he lays there willingly. So you and I can be saved. That's incredible. That's just incredible. Well, I read one that says, and I know uh, wording is a blessing, but wording is kind of trite there. Man made the cross a tree of shame. Christ changed the cross to the tree of glory. Man used it as a tree of death. Christ converted it to the tree of life. Praise the Lord. Man employed it for cruel oppression. Christ put it into the service of freedom. Man made it an agency of judgment and retribution. Through Christ, it became the means of forgiveness and mercy. In the hands of man, the cross was an accursed tree. Touched by the hands of God, it became a tree of blessing. Before Calvary, the cross instilled only fear. After Calvary, it became the symbol of infinite love. Once man disgraced this tree with crime and other sins, then Christ sanctified it with his holy and precious blood. Before Calvary, it harshly enforced the law. After Calvary, it joyously proclaimed the gospel. Before Good Friday, it hastened man into utter darkness. After that, it ushered man into, the, into paradise and glory. The shame of the cross was man. The glory of the cross is Christ. Cross was public and open shame. The cross of Christ was another step to victory for our sins. What a blessing. Then... Come the end. Uh, same chapter, John 19, verses 28 to 30. Right before this, Jesus did a good bit of important business. He took care of his mom. And he put some things in order that needed to be in order. And then verse 28 says, And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, and that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth so when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and bowed his head and gave up his spirit <clears throat> what an ending what an ending you know right after the encounter with the woman at the well the disciples uh, were concerned about Jesus not eating for such a long time. And he said in John 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. And that's what we're saying. He finished his work. Yes, he shed his blood for us. He finished the work. But 
to do the will of the Father was always priority. To do the will of the Father. Then his high priestly prayer. Just previous to the uh, crucifixion in John 17, verse 4. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. Yes. Jesus had a work to do. I wonder what sometimes your and my work is. But I know it's always to glorify the Father. And I know it's always to obey him. Wow, what, what a blessing. He was willing to finish his work. He knew it, and he was always in control of what was happening. <clears throat> then uh, he had told them earlier that he would be lifted up for a reason. Now, man likes to be lifted up, but do you like this type of lifting up? John 12, verse 31 to 33, Now is judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying the death that he should die. He was lifted up. Yes. And when we glorify Jesus in our life by following him faithfully, by being willing to sacrifice for him, by putting Jesus first, you know what? I believe it draws men to Jesus. It still draws men today when we're willing to lift up Jesus. But he said, when I be lifted up, well, I believe that was the only time that Jesus was lifted up. That's an amazing uh, willingness he was to do for us. Now, John 19, 34 and 35, a few more verses here in John 19. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who had seen has testified, and his testimony is true, that he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. He's saying, look, I was there. I seen it. And you know, so Jesus was willing to die. And they come, it's always dead, so we're breaking his legs. We know this. They just, I guess, gave one last blow. And there was the final time of the shedding of blood. <clears throat> what a tremendous blessing to realize that he loves us. And 1 John uh, 3, 5 says, And we know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. That's what makes it so marvelous. Ephesians 1, verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his glory. What a tremendous thought to realize that Jesus shed his lifeblood for my sins. Does it take faith? Yes. Does it take a high level of faith? No. Because what other way can you be redeemed? You want another way? You want to uh, set the criteria? Well, you know, the cost of my sin. Accept it in faith. It's beautiful. It's miraculous. And it's provided by God. Also, it says a different way, a little different way in Romans 5. Verse 9 says, <clears throat> Much more than being now justified by his blood, 
made just as if we were righteous when we weren't, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, there's a thought in there that I hardly ever ponder, but it's an interesting thought, and I'd like you to ponder it a little bit. We are justified by the blood of Jesus because we're saved from wrath through him. Now, man hardly ever thinks about these things, but sin was the equivalent to cosmic treason. That's why Jesus died on Calvary. God's wrath and judgment had to be abated for sin. Now, this is where it comes where man can't hardly grasp it, but let's just give it a try. God is holy, and in him is no unrighteousness whatsoever. That's why the scripture says that we, we live in sin and we, don't, we should not be given to sin as saints because he, he wants us to live in his overcoming power. <clears throat> so God makes a place that is blameless and perfect, heaven. <clears throat> and he wants everyone to go there, every Christian that is truly born again and following him faithfully, well go there. But there's a lot of people that aren't going to make it there. And, uh, and they're living another way. So he provided another place, the place of damnation. But you know, no man would ever made it to heaven without the blood of Jesus. No person will ever make it to heaven without the blood of Jesus. Not a chance. It's the only way. And I praise God he made it a way. And that was a high price for him. It isn't that high for us. Or did we see it that high? You know, Paul called it a light affliction. I've seen many a good saint go through tremendous affliction. They're glorifying God the whole way. That's one of those cloud of witnesses. That's one of those cloud of witnesses. That's good living. That's good living. You know, Jesus didn't say, look at me, look what I'm going through for you. He just did it and didn't even, he didn't even say a word. You know what? For the joy that was set before him. What joy was there in that? There is joy with pleasing your father. There is joy. There is satisfaction and contentment with obeying the will of your father. And you know what? A lot of times that isn't our own choosing. But it's always good. It's always good because it glorifies Jesus. And Jesus was glorifying his father. <clears throat> so the sinless one had to die. The redemptive strategy of Calvary toward the hell-bent sinner speaks. Listen closely. Look at what your sin cost me. Not smile, Jesus loves you. Do you understand? You know, I hear this, you know. Forgiveness is not God making light of sin. It is more than a pat on the back and a wave of the hand or assurance that sin really doesn't matter. It takes the condemnation out of the cross is to take, to take the condemnation of the cross is, the, is taking the deliverance of the gospel. Divine pardon is dispensed only where God's wrath has been previously enforced. You ever think of that? That's true. You know, when you know that you've sinned and so you ask Jesus to forgive you, it's because you knew you were doing wrong. 
Many people view God as a buddy or friend to cozy up to when they choose. By humanizing God and elevating man, man minimizes sin. We no longer see sin as rebellion against the majesty on high, but merely a part of human dilemma. We do have a human dilemma, that's for sure. But Jesus took care of that because, because God's wrath was on sin. He cared about sin. Christianity grows weaker whenever it has lost touch with the cross of Jesus. Only by remembering the horrible agonies of the crucified cross, Christ, will we be helped from the pull towards self-centeredness. Think of it. I'll read it again. It's so true. Only by remembering the horrible agonies of the cross and the crucified Christ for my sins, our sins, will we be helped from the pull towards self-centeredness. Amen. It's the only thing I can say. We are so easily preoccupied, preoccupied with the cross meaning to us instead of what the cross meant to God. Did you ever think of that? What did the cross mean to God? Everything. So you and I, as his, uh, of, of his beloved creation, can be redeemed. Yes, he wanted every one of us redeemed back to him. I tell you, it wasn't what it did just for us. It's what it meant to God. It meant everything to God. It was the only way we can have fellowship with him. The cross was first for God. His justice had to be satisfied. John the Baptist recognized uh, Christ when he explained, Behold the Lamb of God. Take away the sins of the world. Way back there at the start of Jesus' ministry. The beloved uh, Apostle John knew the excruciating anguish that Christ, Christ endured on the cross. Called him the Lamb of God. In the book of Revelation, we find 28 references to Jesus as the Lamb as it had been slain. Even in heaven, today, and when we make it there, Jesus will be known as the Lamb that was slain for our sins. Yeah, he'll be known that. He bears today the marks that our sins cost him. He bears them today. Just didn't leave him. He bears them still today. Calvary is the most extravagant act in history. The cruel death of the only begotten of the Father forever stands as a living testimony of the high cost for our redemption. The price of sin. We could not be here this morning. We would not be here this morning if Jesus was not willing to suffer and die for our sins. What a tremendous price. Yes, we already sang, hallelujah, what a Savior. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? <clears throat> our gracious Heavenly Father, we sit here just astounded and blessed by your beautiful plan for our redemption. Lord, it does... It does um, sink deep in our hearts the high price that you was willing to pay for us to be redeemed back to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your being willing to go through with such a grueling, shameful death. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to shed your blood, your life's blood, for my sins. And I thank you 
that we can be your sons and daughters. And I thank you that when we become your sons and daughters and other believers, other one of your creation become your children, we can have fellowship one with another. I thank you for that. Lord, just touch us anew this morning of how much we should love you and how willing we should be to sacrifice for you because you paid the highest price for our redemption. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.